if you have the financial means to just sort of get you on your way for a little bit of time, then I would just go and and stay open, not to have too many plans. If it doesn't work out, you just come home. Welcome to Somewhere Else, the podcast that chats to people living in weird and wonderful ways. Each episode, your hosts, Domain Editors January Jones and Rose Donahue, interview someone who's ditched the white picket fence for the path a little less travelled. Hello, January. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Rose? Good. I'm good. How's your week been? How's Melbourne? I miss it. Yeah, no, it's good. It's still here, waiting for your return. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, that's nice to hear. It's nice that we can still connect via the magic of Skype. Is, and it, it, and it is really magic, isn't it? Like it's, you know, we're on different time zones, we're connecting, I can see you here, we can chat to a guest in a different part of the world. It's a pretty great setup we've got going on. I know. It's not bad. It's not bad. It is hard, though, when, you know, the time difference between Amsterdam and Melbourne has been nine hours and eight hours before that a few months ago and it's actually a really weird time to try and call people because you're always at work when they're at work and then when I get home everyone's asleep so the time difference thing can actually be really tough even when you've got a good internet connection. Yeah is that making things hard for you is it hard to stay in touch with friends and family? It's a bit easier now because it's daylight savings now in Amsterdam as of a couple of days ago. So now it's 10 hours. So we're sort of weirdly a bit closer to each other. But when it's eight hours, it can sort of just mean that you feel you feel a bit more isolated when you know that even if you wanted to give someone at home a call, they're probably asleep and you don't want to worry them that someone's died or something when really you just wanted to have a chat. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I can imagine that. And Rose, I guess our guest today is a digital nomad. Would you consider yourself one? Look, you know me, I always find all of these phrases a bit cringe to actually apply to myself. Grown up gap year, digital nomad. I mean, you didn't like Murphy's. (laughs) Murphy's is a completely different kettle of fish, which (laughs) I don't want to get into. But um, look, digital nomad, I guess, no, I'm not really a digital nomad because I've got a permanent address in Amsterdam. But when I am doing work for for projects back in Australia, like this one, I guess I'm kind of working like a digital nomad. We know that digital nomads are people who work and live on the road and are able to do that because of technology. And by technology, we mean a laptop and an internet connection most of the time. Um, and I think that it's something that people are definitely becoming more interested in now. I think people are more... What do you think? Are people sort of feeling more brave about leaving traditional jobs or is it that traditional jobs are sort of becoming fewer and and further in between? Well, I guess you don't need to be in an office so much anymore. I know uh, I work in the Melbourne office in Domain and we regularly have meetings with the Sydney office and it's all on video. And, you know, traditionally you would have had to go up for those big meetings and come home in a day. And and now it's just with technology, I guess you don't need to as much. So then do you even need to be in the office? Could you be working from home and, and Skyping in for those meetings? Yeah, and I think, you know, there's a happy medium. I personally thrive off the office the office vibe. And if, if I don't go into work for a few days, I think I sort of start to feel a bit uninspired and lonely. So I don't I really I hope that we're not heading towards a world where everyone wakes up and then just logs on in their apartment or tiny home. But I think people like Georgia Hopkins, who we're going to speak to later on, are actually living the dream. I mean, she just took off from her Sydney job 
and went travelling for seven years, funding it with her freelance writing. I think a lot of people would love to be able to do that. Oh, definitely. It, yeah, it's amazing. And, I mean, look, you, you're kind of living the dream too, really. You've moved overseas and <laughs> <laughs> you're still working here with me. Lucky you. <laughs> I guess I'm living the, be- the best of both worlds. Let's look at some of our around-the-world statistics from our in-depth research we've done for the theme of this show. This is an interesting one. In the US, individuals who lack a permanent address and stable living situation are technically considered homeless. So if you're a digital nomad, someone who has given up their rental property, the government will consider you homeless. That's a bit of a weird one. Yeah, even a van lifer, I guess, as well. So people living out of vans, um, which is becoming, as we know, like a bigger and bigger trend. There's a hashtag and everything now. There's a hashtag, so you know it's big. You know it's big when there's a hashtag, definitely. I'm sure it's going to be put in the dictionary at some point. Um, and what's interesting about that is Volkswagen and Nissan have announced new vans aimed at van lifers. So, I think that's when you know it's a, it's a thing, when the car companies start trying to market towards all of these van life people. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> 85% of millennials say they would like to work remotely. I don't know if that means they could be bothered to actually figure out how they can do it, but, you know, that's something. And another fun fact is it can be a way to avoid paying tax, and I hope the ATO don't get into onto us for this, but by moving country so often, you never become a tax resident in one place. I've heard a few people mention this as a possible sort of scam, and I do think it would be very difficult bureaucratically and logistically to move so often that no country tries to get you for your tax, but hey, if that's what you want to do, give it a go and then give us a call and let us know if it works. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to know. Surely someone's going to catch up with you at some point. The ATO, they they don't let these things go. (laughs) 31% of digital nomads are female, so clearly it's a bit more of a male trend at the moment, maybe because um, women don't feel as comfortable sort of being on the road and a bit more vulnerable without a permanent address and a, a door that they can lock every night. That's interesting. Yeah, which is a shame, but I guess it just shows, you know, unfortunately the downsides of the world we're living in. True. And 38% are earning less than $10,000 per year from the work they do on the road. So it might not be as lucrative as people imagine, but I guess it can probably fund a few a few international plane flights. Yeah, definitely. So we took to the road to see what you thought about living life on the road. I could live a life on the road as a nomad. I actually have a, a camper van that I'm building up to, to sort of take on weekend adventures and hopefully evolve that into something uh, more long-term. Probably in retirement, but not right now. I like having my roots in one place at the moment. No, no, definitely not me. I don't think I can do that. Yeah, that'd be amazing. I don't see any drawbacks to that lifestyle. I really respect people who can do that, but I like a bit of stability. I think I could be nomadic for a shortish period or a defined period of time. So if I chose to say take six months to be nomadic, I reckon that would be great fun. Would I be nomadic permanently? Absolutely not. Today we're talking to writer and nomad Georgia Hopkins. Seven years ago, Georgia traded her corporate Sydney job for a life on the road. Since then, she's travelled the world, writing travel stories and selling prints of her trips to fund the journey. Georgia regularly shares her adventures on her website and Instagram account, which is called It's Beautiful Here. So, Georgia, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's exciting to be here. Can you tell us a bit about how you were living in Sydney before you made the decision to go on the road? Uh, Yeah, sure. I was working um, in a corporate events marketing job in investment banking and um, I was working for an American 
investment bank who has promised me a transfer over to our New York office. And I was 32. It was always my dream to live in New York. And um, that transfer kept getting delayed. So after a while of waiting in Sydney, I decided that I would quit my job and just move to the US um, on my own accord. And was that oh, a wow. was that a scary thing to do? Like you, you sound like you're quite established in your career. It was a bit career. scary. Yes, yeah, it was a bit scary, and I certainly have been someone who's done that a little bit um, in the past with other jobs where I was 25 and quit my job and travelled around South America for six months. And then this job was actually it was an awesome job. I did love what I was doing, but the desire to live in New York was. Um, stronger than staying in the role. So, yes, my poor parents thought that um, (laughs) I had stopped my nomadic ways, but at 32 I said, no, I'm throwing it in again. And, yeah, I guess nothing was going to stop me, so off I went. (laughs) So you had form. You'd done it before. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, but it was a bit of a risk. Obviously, um, I didn't know, I wasn't moving over for a job in particular, so I thought I had a bit of savings and I thought maybe I'll just travel for six months and then get to New York and find a job. Um, but I guess there was no guarantee of that that happening. And did anyone try and talk you out of it or say, oh, you're making a huge mistake, don't leave your job, don't do this? Yeah, definitely. I think probably the majority of people did really. I think there's always when you do something like that which does involve a bit of risk, I guess. There's always probably more naysayers than supporters. Um, but, yeah, I just I think I just had it in my head that I had to do it and the time was right. I'd ended a long-term relationship and I was just thinking, if I don't do it now, I'll never do it. So, um, yeah, I just had to go. <laughs> wow. And so you've been on the road now for seven years. Can you tell us a bit about sort of where you started, some of the best places you've been yeah, sure. Yeah, so I just, um, I literally have just signed a lease in Melbourne two months ago and that's the first formal kind of lease agreement I've had in that seven years, so it's a bit oh, wow. scary. But also, it's um, yeah, in the last seven years, I guess I moved to the US and I didn't end up making it to New York. I fell in love with California instead, so I just was drawn to the um, the good weather in LA and the happy people and the healthy lifestyle. It's an easy place to fall in love with, I think. Exactly, yeah, and I think as a tourist it's not necessarily as appealing because it's so widespread and you have to spend a lot of time in a car and in traffic whereas in New York you just walk everywhere and stumble across cool stuff but once you spend a bit more time in LA it kind of grows on you even more and once you get a bit of a feel for the lay of the land and so I stayed with friends initially but I didn't have a visa so I was having to leave the US every three months um and I not ideal yeah had some yeah, not ideal, but then also it was good for um, inspiring random adventures, I guess. So I went and lived in Tel Aviv. I spent, um, I was just planning to go for six days, but I ended up staying for three months and lived on a boat in um, in the Gordon Harbour. Um, and then I went on wow. to Mexico and lived in a little town called San Miguel de Allende uh, for about three months as well. Um and just did random other little trips, mainly on my own, but um, kind of was just open to going wherever. Wherever the road took you. Exactly, yeah. And did you have to save up a lot of money before you left? Yeah, I guess um, I was fortunate in that I had bought a little investment property with my sister 
um, a few years earlier and she was in a different position, wanted to buy something new with her husband and so we sold that. So we had a bit of savings as a result. I had some savings that I could dip into from that. Um, I had given myself a limit of what I could spend and I went, well and truly over that limit and ended up spending the whole amount. <laughs> but that's what um, kept me on the road for so long, I guess, and meant that I could keep travelling and um, sort of at the same time working out what I wanted to do next, which was in the end not going back into banking and doing what I thought I would be doing. So do you feel like the trip's given you the, the space that you needed to figure out what you wanted to do next or has it taken you on a completely different path than the one you imagined? Yeah, I think I think a bit of both actually because um, the travel stuff sort of happened by mistake or on the side perhaps in that because I was travelling so much and I guess I have always done quite a bit of travel, people were saying to me, oh, you should start a travel website to record all of your stories and the people you're meeting and your photos. And so I just did that as something mainly for my family and my friends and never really with anything else in mind. Um, and at the same time, I was exploring with random ideas. I, I had a friend in Melbourne who's an architect and he's designed these sustainable temporary houses that are made out of cardboard. And it was always um, a dream of mine to turn one into a little pop-up bar or a coffee house. And when I first moved over to LA and realised that the coffee scene was still pretty abysmal and um, there was such a focus on all things sustainable and eco, I thought, oh, maybe I can do like a little pop-up cardboard coffee house. So, yeah, for the first couple of years I actually I pitched that idea into Sounds Australia um, an Australian government music organisation that uh, look after all of our bands internationally. And we launched this little coffee house at a music festival called South by Southwest in Texas. Oh, wow. So oh, yeah, I was, a big music festival. That's a big, yeah, that's yeah, a huge Yeah, festival. exactly. <laughs> yeah, it was really fun. And so I kind of thought that was the path I was going to go down for a while. Um, but in the end, I realised I wasn't passionate enough about that to do that. So, yeah, so the travel stuff then um, I don't know, it became more apparent that that was kind of what my passion was for and um, I decided to pursue that instead. What did you do in terms of accommodation? So did you stay with friends or did you book short-term leases or how did you go about that? Yeah, I think it was a bit of a mix actually, I, especially initially I stayed with friends who were very generous um, in letting me stay for probably a couple of months with them in their spare bedroom and then I... I used Airbnb a lot. Um, Airbnb is my best friend, definitely. I probably lived in every single LA neighbourhood you can possibly live in. I house sat for friends who live up in the Hollywood Hills and some friends in Silver Lake and then I was just subletting rooms, so um, not necessarily having the whole place to myself but just subletting rooms. There's also a Facebook page in LA called Australians in LA, so um I would sublet rooms from there and then and things just seemed to pop up all the time. That was the other thing. It never was necessarily stressful or difficult to find anything. There was just it all just sort of started to flow and yeah, but I've lived I mean, I slept in my car a couple of times. I've kind of oh, really? done it all. Why were you sleeping in your car? Was that sort of a I think just an an in between like 
But one, yeah, one place sort of one sublet finishing and the next one not starting for a couple of days. So I was, I was pretty happy to just do whatever. (laughs) (laughs) And so at any point, did you feel sort of vulnerable or when you're living sort of technically without an address, what what does that feel like? Or did you just feel a, a freedom? Yeah, I think I liked the freedom that came with not really having any um, material possessions, firstly, like just not really having stuff. I liked that I was able to just pack up and leave whenever I felt like it really. Um, And I actually liked, yeah, not having the commitment of um, a formal lease or uh, just being open again to kind of whatever situations came up. And speaking of stuff, Georgia, um, how much stuff were you carrying around with you? Yeah, I really only had kind of one, um, one, one big bag, I wow. guess. So not much, really, just some clothes. I didn't really <laughs> accumulate much, <laughs> and yeah, didn't really have any um, home homey stuff. So I had left some stuff back in Australia, definitely, thanks to my parents and their uh, garage back in Melbourne. But um, yeah, with me, I just I just had a bag, so it was pretty easy. It was pretty easy to get around. And I think the less stuff you have, the less you really. Uh, want for as well so I was I was quite content (laughs) and so you're obviously a sustainable traveler you're not the sort of person who comes home from every trip with a bag of knickknacks and magnets and commemorative (laughs) spoons yeah no I think those days are over that definitely was probably how I used to travel in my early 20s with souvenirs for everybody but um no definitely not anymore unless there's something that really like strikes a chord and um, you know, you might be in Morocco and there's an amazing, I don't know, rug or something. Not that that's a very easy thing to carry around, but <laughs> no, I'm generally, I'm not really doing much shopping while I'm, while I'm on the road, that's for sure. And did you meet a lot of other people doing the same thing? Like, was there a big community of people do it living in a similar way? Uh, I think when I sort of was on the road, definitely not so much in LA, like I found most people in LA were sort of know, settling down and getting established and a lot of them were there for their career. Um, but definitely when I kind of would hit the road again and, I don't know, end up in a little surf town in Costa Rica or, um, you know, be in Mexico, you certainly meet people who are kind of living in a more nomadic way. And I, I especially think there's now that rise of people kind of working on the road as well. So they have the freedom to kind of work from anywhere. So, it does mean that there's probably a lot more people living in that way than there was before, I guess. Yeah, and you were working on the road. Would you would you describe yourself as a, a digital nomad? Everything I do is just online, so I really do just need my laptop and a Wi-Fi connection. So, yes, I would probably. And were you working out of cafes or mostly houses? Yep. How did you how did you get the work done? Yes, mainly after ca- uh, out of cafes. Sorry. Um, I do love finding um, a good coffee wherever I go. So, yeah, I would generally just go and sit in there and just keep caffeinating all day or at least for a few hours before moving on to the next place. You would have been in good company in LA then. There's lots of people working in coffee shops over there. There's so many. And there's actually like the coffee scene now has actually got so much better. So it's, yeah, there's plenty of choices now compared to when I first oh, arrived. Just there was time probably for only you to come home. To leave, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> exactly. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm imagining it's a it's a scary thought to pack your life up, or it is for a lot of people to pack your life up and go on the road. Is it now a scary thought for you to be coming home? It is a little bit. Um, like signing the lease a couple of months ago was it was scary, but it was also um, I don't know. It felt right at the same time. Like I feel like travel is always going to be a huge part of my life. I'll obviously still be doing all of the trips um, with It's Beautiful here, but it does feel nice to now have a base where for the first time in seven years I've hung up my clothes and I don't have many. I'm, I'm living with my partner and he has definitely five times as many clothes as I do, but um, <laughs> just to have everything hanging in one wardrobe and be able to find everything is a game changer. I feel like... Um, Yes, I used to lose a lot of things on the road. I would never be able to find anything, whereas now I feel like life's a little bit more ordered. So, yeah, that part feels good. Um, and what's been the best part about this experience? I would say probably the people that I have met along the way, definitely. Um, I feel like sometimes, and even now coming back to Melbourne, um, it's easy to sort of get stuck in kind of the normal grind and maybe you're not as exposed to, I don't know, people to interest or inspire you unless you sort of look a bit harder for that. And so I think on the road I was lucky to meet a lot of interesting, creative people, especially in California, and just to learn their stories and, yeah, develop friendships with people in all corners of the world was, was probably the best part. How do you keep that sort of philosophy when you move back to a city where it might be tempted to sort of fall back into the bubble? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, um, I mean, I still I still do work out of cafes largely and I find that when I was travelling that was actually a good place to meet people. So I still feel like, you know, I can carry that through to being back in Melbourne, just striking up conversations with random people in cafes. But I think also it's about... Um, just sort of keeping an eye on what's going on and looking for interesting, cool kind of events or courses or stuff that's just kind of getting you out and about a little bit more rather than just kind of hanging with your little clique and doing the same stuff that everyone's doing. Yeah. And one last question, Georgia. Uh, What would you say to someone else considering doing something like this? Um, Well, I would always say just just do it, just give it a try because the worst thing that can happen is that you can always come home. So if you have the financial means to just sort of get you on your way for a little bit of time, then I would just go and and stay open, not to have too many plans because I do believe like the best things happen through spontaneity and when you're just open to um, sort of anything. So, yeah, I would absolutely say give it a go. And if it doesn't work out, you just come home. You know, there's always another job to get. So I think life's so short. You've just got to, if there's something you want to do, you've just got to try and um, and see what happens. Georgia, it's an inspiring attitude to life. I love it. Thank you so much for speaking to us today. Thank you so much. Thanks, Rose. Thanks, January. Thanks so much, Georgia. Bye. My name's Alison Worrell. At the start of 2019, I travelled to India to study yoga. And after that, I knew that I wanted to 
keep travelling and perhaps try and live somewhere abroad. I'd previously worked as a journalist, so I thought maybe I could freelance. And I was also looking into house-sitting and volunteer roles on sites like Workaway and Woofing. But then I was fortunate enough to be offered some work that I could do remotely for an Australian publisher, which is compiling a daily email newsletter to their subscribers um, every morning. And so I've been travelling and working for the last eight and a half months since then. Um, And it's been really awesome. I started my trip in Sri Lanka and then I went to Nepal. Um, And then I travelled to, since then, France. I spent a few weeks in Berlin, a little time in Sweden, a little time in Norway, three weeks or so in Croatia. I spent a bunch of time in the UK visiting friends, a few weeks in Portugal, and I spent five weeks in Morocco, where I actually stopped and worked at a surf and yoga hostel as well as my online job. Um, And, you know, I've been so lucky I can pretty much work anywhere with a good internet connection and the job only takes an hour or two each day so um, it's really flexible Um, but to do it I have to make sure that you know I always have good wi-fi so I've I buy a sim card with data so I can hotspot on my laptop if I can't find wi-fi somewhere. I usually work in cafes and I've really enjoyed exploring cafe culture all across the world, especially after living in Melbourne for so many years and spending a lot of time in cafes there. Um, It's really nice to go to new cafes in new countries uh, because it feels really familiar and it often feels like home for me, which is nice after being away for so long. I think one of the most interesting places I've worked was um, when I was in Nepal and I found satellite internet while Um, on an eight-day trek in the Himalayas. So I was at base camp in this tiny little woman's home at like 3,800 metres, you know, snow everywhere on my laptop in front of this fire. And the internet was super, super slow, so it took me hours, but it it worked. So, you know, it's, it's incredible how connected we are all across the world now. You know, I used to put, like, on my Instagram story a video of wherever I was working with, like, you know, my office today, but (laughs) so many of my friends were just like, oh, shut up. (laughs) They got really sick of it. There's only been one time when I haven't been able to do my work on time. Um, It was just one occasion, and it was actually when I was coming down from that um, trek in Nepal, and there was just one spot um, that we had to stay the night that didn't have internet. You know, one night out of eight months is pretty good and my bosses were really understanding and they knew that I hadn't planned for it. But other than that, no, I always make sure that you know, it's factored into my into my travels and there's been a few places that I haven't been able to go because they don't have Wi-Fi or, or internet reception. I really wanted to spend some time in, you know, like off the grid retreats, maybe volunteering as a yoga teacher or something like that. But when I look them up, if they don't have Wi-Fi, I know that um, I can't I can't go unless I just go on the two days that I don't have work. So it's definitely something that has you know I have to think about all the time, and that's completely fine. You know that's such a small price to pay for being fortunate enough to travel on an Australian wage overseas. On the whole, it's definitely an incredible experience and something that I know that I'll look back on for 
probably the rest of my life as, as you know, one of the, the best times of my life, I think. And now January for my always favourite segment of the week, Pop Culture Homework, where one of us recommends something to watch or read that is in line with the theme of this show, which of course is Nomads. What do you have for me this week? Well, I've really done my homework this week, so I, I have two books and one film. What do you think about oh that? Oh my God, I'm overwhelmed already. <laughs> okay, hit me with the first one. Okay, so the first one is a book and a film and it is The Talented Mr Ripley. So the book is by Patricia Highsmith and was published in 1955 and the film was made in 1999. So the, well, I guess this is the synopsis for the book and the film. In, 19, in the late 1950s New York, Tom Ripley, played by Matt Damon in the film, a young underachiever, is sent to Italy to retrieve Dickie Greenleaf, played by Jude Law in his prime, I might add, a rich and spoiled millionaire playboy. But when the errand fails, Ripley takes extreme measures. So, look, this one is a thriller, but I I think it fits with our nomad. I mean, they are living this kind of nomadic life. I mean, Gwyneth Paltrow is actually in this one too. Goop's own Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, And they are just swanning around Italy, really, wearing fabulous clothes. This was not what I expected from your nomad recommendation, (laughs) but I'm so glad that you've brought up this film because... Is this like the best looking cast of all time? Yes, I would have to say yes. Oh my God, Matt Damon, Matt Damon, who was, by the way, my first crush, I have to admit. <laughs> when I, I think I must have been like nine or 10 when this film came out. And I just remember watching them all in Italy, bronzed, Jude Law, Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh my God. And also Philip Seymour Hoffman in a really good role for him. Yeah. Great recommendation. Oh, thank you. I'm glad you like it. I actually have a second one. So I couldn't, I'd be remiss if I didn't include On the Road by Jack Kerouac, the ultimate ultimate white boy journey, I have to say. We love a white boy journey. (laughs) So published in 1957, the book is based on the travels of Kerouac, a central figure in the Beat Generation. The semi-autobiographical book tells the story of two friends whose cross-country road trips are a quest for meaning and true experience. You've gone a bit higher brow this week, JJ. I am the high brow one, Rose, I I have to say. I I can see that you're trying to stake a reputation for being the highbrow one. I'm not going to let you. I might have to up the ante. Okay, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Now, JJ, that's it from us for about a week. It is. We're taking a short break over Christmas and New Year. So we hope everyone has a lovely holiday and gets some time off to go travel or go to the beach or do whatever it is you want to do. And we'll be back in your ears on the 6th of January. Thanks for listening to Somewhere Else, a podcast by Domain. Somewhere Else is produced by January Jones, Rose Donahue, and Kate Bartels. It is edited by Steve Claxton. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And tell your friends. Send us to your mum. It's how we get the word out. We'll see you soon, somewhere else. This episode of Somewhere Else was brought to you by Domain Insure. Powered by property experts, Domain Insurer is a smart, simple way to purchase insurance. Get a quote in under two minutes at domain.com.au slash insurance slash podcast. Domain Insure AFSL 502088 for the Insurer Zurich Australian Insurance LTD AFSL 232504.